Hello and welcome to Not So Peter Priest's podcast, the podcast where a gay veteran and his emotional support Canadian scream into the void about the Mormon Church. If you want to reach us, we are on Instagram at Not So Peter Priesthood. And you can email us at not so Peter Priesthood at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy! Bye! But we got reunified with my dad for some godly reason. They were like, I guess we'll just let him have the kids back. He's not mentally well, but you know, it's fine. And um, we lived in my grandparents' garage for a little bit. <laughs> um, their house was like next to my uncle's house. So it was like kind of, we were all in the same compound in a way. But I didn't even get asked what I wanted. I just kind of was told what we were to do. So, we like all had like, we shared that garage, like my dad had a bed and I had a bed and there was like a bunk bed or something, but then, you know, my younger siblings ended up sleeping with my dad. I'm sure they had their own abandonment issues and things they were trying to cope with. And then eventually, like somebody in my family, you know, they were well off enough to help my dad get like some kind of house to live in it was like a rental or something and we all got thrown back in together like feral cats didn't know what to do with each other everybody was dealing with their own way of dealing with the trauma none of us got therapy (laughs) my dad wasn't in therapy my dad started like ruling the house like a drill sergeant well, especially like coming out of prison, that's kind of probably how he was living his mm-hmm. days, right? Was rules and yeah. regulations and restrictions and yeah. scheduled and and I don't uh, and I don't blame him necessarily, you know. I I don't I don't agree with how it was handled, but I I can empathize and understand like his decisions that were not great and why his patience wouldn't be very good. And that's when a lot of the church stuff became worse like we were there no matter what at church for those three hours because they used to do it three hours all you people who go to church now you're lucky because you only got two hours with maybe 15 minutes your parents talking to somebody about something super not important and you waiting to go to the car (laughs) i feel you it was like four (laughs) hours because in georgia you don't have a church usually next to you, you know, it was like a 45 minute drive. So it's really like four or five hours of your day. And uh, my dad was, you know, I think I can't like speak for him exactly, but what I would imagine is he probably felt like the church was the only thing he's done right in his life. So he was going to cling on to that no matter what. And he was going to present like we were all doing fine and we were all at church and church was going to save us. And, you know, that. uh, Also, it uh, probably made him feel like he was like the church has the, the patriarchy of like. 
they're always going to make the man look like, oh, it's he's t- blameless. Everything's he's mm-hmm. the head of the household. He is the the end all be all. So it probably like it, it reaffirmed everything that he thought of himself. Probably, and it kind of it you know helped his ego when probably deep down he he does or did feel bad. You know, I don't know. It's so complicated, but I just know that it was hell. Like. Whoever he was dating before he got to jail, like she broke up with him at some point. They were engaged within like, I guess she didn't want to move to Georgia or something. I don't know. And then he's, you know, not too, not too long. He starts dating someone else. And my dad, I'm not, I don't, I don't really know how much I want to share, but all the stepmothers that I've had, I don't even know if I call them stepmothers, like more like my dad's wife. But the first round was really hard because it felt so soon. And I noticed a pattern like my dad could present really well and like say a lot of the right things and like really good at like hiding some of the problems that we as a family were having. But then as soon as like, you know, the paperwork goes through and you're married, it's like, ah, there's no reason to uh have that front anymore and then you know some of his same problems I think that he had with my mom kind of happens with other women too like not as emotionally in tune or sensitive to their feelings or you know stressed about money which I mean I guess he has a little bit more at at the time more of a legit reason to stress about money because when you go to prison you have to pay like you know after you get out like you pay every month or something some kind of and it's, I mean, if you're ever interested in what went on in the 90s and all that, like, I know that there is an article that my dad is listed in there and talks about all the schemes. So there was a lot of money lost. And if you convert it to what it's worth now, millions, millions of dollars. Um, so, crazy. so I'm sure he had to pay some of that back, I guess. I don't really know how that worked. But so he was like, you know, the same issues just kind of bled out and. And then weirdly, he'd use it as like a way to be like us versus them and like try to like make it like a weird toxic bonding thing. Because like otherwise we weren't really united either. Well, that's. It was really messed up. Yeah. <laughs> and um, manipulative too. Oh, super. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, it was always someone else's fault. Um he would even like scapegoat us between each other. Um, you know, um, nothing was ever his fault. And I honestly think it's because I don't think he could cope with anything else being his fault. I don't know. It's really, it's really complex. And, uh, but it was really hard on all of us. And we, I have a lot of grace for my siblings because, you know, I, I know what I was dealing with and what I was feeling. And, um, I don't know how they were processing and dealing. So if, I don't, I'm not, I'm not mad at any of them if they were ever mean to me or hurt me or, but we were supposed to act like it was fine. Like it was like, you're supposed to, you're just not praying enough. That's why you're sad. You're not reading your scriptures enough. That's why you're sad. And then like, I think this really probably frustrated my dad. Cause I would, I would have questions and, and 
I wasn't just going to take anything he said as facts because I didn't really trust him at that point. I, you know, I never said that to him, but I didn't. And, and you know, computers are starting to be more accessible, so I could look up different things and different mm-hmm. sources. Probably considered now, uh, you know, anti-Mormon propaganda. Anti-Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like I said, I was forced to carry this shelf, this cheap, you know, shitty shelf. For a lot of my life, things would fall off it, but I was expected to keep putting it back on. Like, um, you know, the whole plan of happiness and plan of salvation just like had so many holes in it for me. Still does. I mean, the older I get and the more I uh, listen to podcasts and do, read things and actually kind of like unpack things, I'm like, the more I know, the less I know. I have so much more questions. Like, But as a kid, you know, I'm like maybe 13 at this point. Like, I was probably asking a lot of questions that nobody was asking or wanted to talk about. And I kept a lot of the questions to myself because I didn't want to get in trouble or punished, you know, I was afraid. So I just kind of would uh, keep it to myself and... Well, and going with the doctrine of, like, the plan of salvation, like, there's so many doctrines within the church that um, they they look nice on the, the face mm-hmm. value, especially the plan of salvation. Like, it's all nice and a little pretty bow and everything, but then when you really deep dive into it, it's like, wait a second, there's, but what about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. And just, like, everything, like the Book of Mormon, all of it just doesn't, the way it was translated, quote, unquote, and then uh, the all that stuff, it just... yeah. So, um, it's, I can imagine as a, you know, that hearing all the plan of salvation and those that, um, and knowing about your mother and then feeling like there's just, there's too much that's unanswered and yet you're supposed to pretend like it's all answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or be okay hard. with like, or be okay with these like mental gymnastics. Like, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I just like because like you said it presents really well like even now if you go and look up plan of happiness like you'll see these like really flowery talks that people say but then when you actually look at the doctrine it's like happiness is actually obedience and only doing this one way and only doing xyz and you have to do xyz or else you won't really know happiness and and there's stuff like that all all in there and it just made me angry because I was also when my dad got remarried the first time I was really upset because I realized he could be sealed to more than one woman. Uh, But my mom, but if my mom hypothetically in heaven met someone else, she couldn't be with them. Already sealed to your dad. That just felt messed up to me because, like, a part of me wonders if she was already like if she was going to divorce my dad. Yeah. And you know, obviously, like shit went down before that happened, but. But like that didn't make sense to me. It's like so my mom isn't worthy to find love if she wanted to, if she's if that's even like a thing. But my dad could be married to like all these women. That doesn't seem okay. I just cried that whole wedding time. I was just like this. Mormon church says they don't believe in polygamy anymore, but clearly they do. Yeah, they do. Oh, totally. (laughs) You listen you listen to those apostles like talk about, oh yeah, my two wives and yeah, and they like, have more than one wife. <laughs> but, but you know, God forbid if like you know, 
that wife couldn't find a different love if she wanted to. <laughs> I think, I, like, especially yeah. now that I'm older, I'm like, man, like, if there is, like, some kind of afterlife or some kind of something, like, I, w- I would hope my mom could find love. Yeah. Like, that's not fair. Yeah. Like, she, so she's, so my dad would say comments like, well, when I get to heaven, we're together, so it's fine. And I'm I like, know. in my mind, I was like, well, what if she doesn't want to be with you? So God's going to make her be with you. I never said that to him, but oh. I feel that. Yeah, like, when no. I was trying to get my ceiling canceled to my ex-husband, it was this constant like, well, we'll figure it'll be figured out in in the next life. And I'm like, I don't I've figured it out. I will not be. Oh, with I him. know. Like, I do not want to be with him. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. No. Don't. Well, well, yeah, maybe you should be able to find somebody that's more empathetic and more. Um, yeah. Would actually yeah. understand her. So. Yeah. But then, like, they, they had this weird thought, like, my dad and other people in his family would say this to you, like, oh, your mom will be healed and she'll just be, like, a different person. And I'm like, I don't You're want like, her to be a different person. Yeah, just Which want also her to be my track mom. With, like, the, the whole idea that you, you know, preordain, like, you have your soul in the pre-existence mm-hmm. whatever and then it comes you're the same person you were then to now but then all of a sudden you're a different person yeah like oh she'll time. be healed and it'll all be fine and she won't have that <laughs> illness and she'll have this i'm like so There's are you equating her personality illness. with her illness now yeah. like that's just that's like a thing like i just i just made me angry and you know so, so. i'm uh i was taking a I'm studying psychology, and one of the things that we've learned in my abnormal psychology class is that the um, the main point that I got from that was that um, not to um, to see people as their not to see as them as their diagnosis, but to like they're somebody mm-hmm. with a mental illness. They aren't yeah their exactly. Mental illness. And I think that's definitely something that's been a shift in the psychology realm is that like to point that out that like it's an individual that is dealing with an illness it's not it's just like you don't say like oh they um that person is cancerous like it's not you know you'd say like they have cancer so it's just like they have bipolar they have depression you know you you say it that way instead of that person's just depressed like it's not it's just so much more complicated than that and like she was way more than her illnesses like way more like and it just bothered me because they were just they what she's just we're gonna get to heaven she's just this like stepford wife like what's happening here like <laughs> like that's what all I the apostles so. are hoping for <laughs> and then honestly like honestly like would, like why on earth like if things were so bad here like why would she want to be with my dad in the first place like what kind of loving god would want to do that and it just yeah more questions more questions more books falling off my shelf <laughs> well and, and uh, even if you went with that belief like that she um that we have like a afterlife and everything, but like, and that um, she would be herself, but without mm-hmm. the, like that, the illness, like it would just, she'd be yeah. more herself than anything. And yeah, she, exactly. It would uh, she'd be the spitfire that it sounds like she was. And like that she was this like strong feminist, like just that woman that went in and uh, ate your teacher's apple and defended you. That would be the woman that mm-hmm. she is. Exactly. No. It just the mental gymnastics to like make themselves feel better because it was almost like they were trying to like my dad, his family were trying to say stuff that made them feel better. Like I don't know, like um, and which, like I said, people cope the way they're gonna cope and whatever. But I just yeah. wasn't buying it, and um, 
I realized my dad was subtly trying to like kind of brainwash all of us to not remember that she killed herself. So I started to realize I was the only one who really remembered, but I didn't want to like get in trouble and say something. But also I was like, man, we gotta know. But we weren't allowed to like talk about anything. Everything was so like volatile. Everything was like walking on eggshells and you know, none of us knew how to communicate with each other because we were separated after all that and everybody was coping a different way. I was either really sad and barely hanging on or I was numb because I was cutting and doing pills. So nobody would know. It got really bad, like when I was in high school. I mean, everything just kind of got worse progressively with time because my dad would like have a marriage and it wouldn't work out and it would re-traumatize us and then, uh, you know, different, just even just normal everyday life stuff mixed with this stuff made life hard, you know, like life's hard enough anyway, like normal things. Yeah, just being a teenager is horrible. And then Mm -hmm. to have all this to go through, like, oh. Yeah, and there's just so many things going on. Like, I know one of my siblings is also, like, medicating with drugs and um, other things. And, you know, and one sibling, he was trying to be, like, the golden child and hold everyone together. And me, I was, you know, better to be seen than heard. So I kind of just accepted that for a little while. And then, I don't know. I started getting forced to go to seminary, and that made me angry. And then sometimes I'd be like, well, maybe, you know, maybe this is okay because so and so is saying it this way, and like it feels kind of okay. And, you know, maybe I am feeling the spirit because this lady's really nice to me. Um, and she was like, oh. you know, that that lady was is still like such a great person. She ended up being like my sister's like mission president somehow, which is kind of weird, but um, really great people. Cause there was really nice people within that ward and stuff. Um, but it still wasn't like convincing me really. I was just like, there's so many problems here, but I can't voice it. And I remember one time I said a concern to like one of my stepmoms, and I feel like I, I was like, Oh my gosh, what if I'm the reason she left? Because, I like voiced doubts, and then I learned later she ended up leaving the church. I was like, "Oh, well, now good for you. If you're happy here, um, sorry if I planted a seed of doubt during a very stressful time." Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and my dad just kept marrying the wrong people, and I'd have interactions with like the wife's kids and that wasn't always great like they weren't healthy either because you know when you're not healthy sometimes you attract unhealthy and then there's like just a sorry like such a fucking mess like like just literally throwing like abused animals all together and then expected to perform perfectly and and look great to people at church so people were like so and so is uh you know, such a good guy, poor guy, like, oh, but he's, his kids are all doing great, so, you know, it was all about image, you know, how things looked, I think that's what my dad wanted, is things to look better than they were, so he could cope with it, possibly, and then, um, 
And this is like, oh man, this is hard to talk about, but I think it's important. I was kind of preyed on by an older guy when I was 15. His mom was friends with one of my aunts on my dad's side. So like, I kind of already knew who he was. I didn't really think much of him though. I mean, when you're young like that, any kind of guy attention is like great. You know, I see all my friends, like not all my friends, but a lot of my friends who like developed earlier than me and or like have boyfriends and all these things. And, you know, I felt so unlovable at home. Like I was thirsty for any kind of attention that would be nice. So I definitely fell for it. Um, I want to say he was maybe only a couple years or a few years older, but he, he definitely preyed on me. He like already knew everything about me before I even met him. Cause I guess his mom and my aunt talk. So he thought he knew everything about me. He would even tell me, Oh, I know more about you than you know about you. Oh, and I just like, Oh, that's kind of weird. But then I, but he's nice to me and he buys me flowers and jewelry and all this stuff. Um, he like really, really love bombed me. Really love bombing me. I was like 15. He was like a senior in high school. R- wicked smart. I mean, like he's one of those people that I think they're so smart that they knew they're so they could be manipulative, like so smart they knew exactly what to say, what to do, how to be to get what they wanted. With any and probably able not, to sniff out the vulnerability for sure. Yeah, not even just with me, just with anything, but he definitely preyed on me, like just love bombed me and he knew I would eat up and he didn't know that I was on pills or cutting yet. I didn't he learned about the cutting at some point, but doesn't seem like a big concern for him, really. I, I don't know. It never got a sense it was like a huge concern. Um, sorry. Um, so we ended like church dances and all that stuff like were going on, and this was, I think my. One of my dad's wives, maybe the second or third, were still like with us at the time. So I had like a somewhat of a stepsister for a minute. Um, and we were all supposed to go to this like Mormon dance or whatever. And I started going to some of them because I had a friend that wanted me to go with her. And she was actually really nice. And like I could go, I could like actually sleep at her house without having like a nightmare, you know. I still have like PSD nightmares, but I had them pretty, pretty bad you know, that time of my life. Um, I had, like, her, and then I had one other friend that wasn't Mormon whose their family, like, totally took me in, and, like, that was one of the places I felt, like, safe enough to sleep. And I'll never forget that. But um, anyway, so he was invited to come over. I guess he didn't tell his mother that it was, like, kind of a date or a group date-ish kind of thing. And we went, and... I didn't really think a lot of it. I was like, oh, he's nice, whatever. Nice to have attention. I thought we were just like friends. 
But then, like, after that dance, it was, like, I don't know. He just started love bombing me. Like, he was, like, in love with me, apparently. And he told me he loved me the first two weeks. Um, he'd get me all these things and write me all these uh, notes and CDs and never stop texting or messaging me. At the time, I think it was, like, Facebook Messenger and, like, I am kind of stuff. I just want to stop and it was kind of like a positive thing it was like a another high for me a little bit and I just kind of was like it was weird because I was numb but I was like well it's better than nothing so I'm just gonna go with the flow with this he likes me no one else is gonna like me um and it just got worse and worse like he would lied it was his mom was super orthodox like crazy mormon like she's a whole other story but i guess he had some trauma because his mom was bipolar and there was like incidences when he was little and like traumatized him and she was like really headstrong and kind of like super mormon and he was not i think that was also something that was kind of attractive is that he wasn't super mormon i was like oh, i'm not the only one. Oh my god but then he would say crazy stuff that I just, for some reason, I don't know if it's because I was just not, I was like checked out or not really thinking about it too much. But he would say stuff like how he wanted to like literally like fuck a goat and like uh, other things that were kind of scary. Like a little concerning. Yeah. Like Satan stuff and certain music he listened to was really terrifying. Which I was into, like, emo and metal, but, like, some of the stuff he was listening to was a little scary, and I just tried to ignore it. I was like, well, he's nice to me, so, you know, whatever. And the first assault that happened was uh, at my house. We were in the basement watching the movies. That's where the TVs were at the time. And he wanted to kiss me or whatever, and I was like, sure, whatever. But then all of a sudden, like, things started happening that I didn't want to happen. And, uh, I don't know. I, like, froze. I just didn't know what to do. And I think my dad came downstairs one time, but then he, like, threw my shirt to me, and I put it on quick, and my dad didn't suspect anything. But I didn't know what to say because I was like, well, maybe this is just what I don't know I'm supposed to do. I just kind of was checked out anyway. So, you know, I was fine with like making out and stuff that could like take me to like a different place in my mind and I could escape. But like the other stuff I was not wanting to do. And it just got worse from there. Um, he like arranged like a secret sleepover when his parents were gone and like was messaging me all these things about how he wanted to have sex and I didn't know what to do I was kind of at that point I didn't really have a lot of self-love I didn't really care what happened to me so I just thought well maybe it's just like how things are I've seen him mad at other things I don't really want to know what he would say about this so I just went along with it. I didn't care. I was numb. I was, you know, in my active addictions. So 
I was essentially with somebody who assaulted me for the next like five years of my life. Raped me. Even when I told them I didn't want it to happen. It was like he felt entitled to it. No one's going to love you like I do. Yeah, I know you better than you know yourself. I know more what happened to you than you do. I know more about what your dad did than you do. Um, that's when my addictions got really bad. I started cutting even more to where I didn't care if my dad saw. I never tried to make the pills look like they weren't tapped into. I still don't think my dad knows I did pills. I think he's like either in denial about it or he just doesn't, isn't aware because he was in his own drama, like trauma, you know? Because like, this is just what's happening to me. There's like four other kids, you know? Who knows what's going on with them? Some definitely not as extreme as mine, but there's a lot going on. I'm not the priority here. You know, I don't start getting any kind of attention until I'm making him look bad, you know. What's kind of blows my mind is my dad saw some of those emails that guy sent to me. I think he confronted me about it, but I don't remember what I said because I honestly think I was high. And, um, my dad didn't do anything. I feel like he might have was maybe going to do something. I think the only thing he didn't do is like I couldn't go to prom with him, which I was like, I didn't really care. I was kind of relieved, actually. So I, I went with like a guy friend, which ended up getting sabotaged because that's my ex. Somehow um, his mom thought it was unfair that my dad didn't punish me, so she let him go to the prom. You ruined my time. Sabotaged my whole date. I remember my friends were trying to get him to leave me alone, and he wouldn't leave me alone. And the poor guy I was with was just, like, so innocent, so nice. That's when I knew I'm not going to be able to escape this, am I? This might be my fate. Because he would tell me stuff like, oh, we're meant to be, like, it's serendipitous and all this stuff. Like, he decided um, New Year's Eve was his day. Not not anything to do with my mom's death, but his day. He's, he, was, he would try to say it like, oh, well, you know, it's like it's going to replace that day. It's serendipitous. It's great. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't like that at all. To take, take something. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's bad news bears. But I felt trapped. Like, he would say stuff like how no one would love me. Like, he would. And he, like, would love bomb me. He would do something terrible and then, like, make up for it with something. Like... We had a mutual like for music and he would, you know, do this like program where he would pass flyers out and get free tickets and we go to all these concerts. But, you know, I never really I got to like I would have a certain amount of fun at them, but then he would ruin it because 
if somebody, whether they were in the band or in the audience, looked at me a certain way, that um, wasn't good and wasn't okay. Um, he never wanted to stay to the end of the concert because he didn't want to deal with other people leaving the parking lot. So I never got to see things I wanted to see or, or be there or or if he suspected somebody like thought I was cute then it was a huge issue. Um, he even was jealous of my dog. One of the things my dad did do that was really great for me. Um, there was, uh, it was my junior year of high school. He let me get a dog after I tried to kill myself. And, uh, that was like his way of trying to help. I mean, I guess. Um, but it was, a, it was an important moment for my life, I think, because whether it was just like induced by a high or my brain trying to like comfort me I was really high off something I was bleeding there was blood all over the floor in the bathroom I walked downstairs I think my subconscious wanted him to see wanted someone to know I was suffering I didn't want to be there anymore And he looked at me and he said, uh, you're going to cost me a lot of money. And that's the only thing I remember that he said. I just remember being upset by that because I was like, that's what you're worried about right now. And, you know, I'll give my dad some grace because, you know, he's got his own trauma and we have dealing with things and he has a lot of, um, you know, issues that at the time especially were really bad and he probably didn't know what to do with me. Like, his wife died of suicide. Like, how would he deal with the daughter who did? I don't know. I don't, doesn't make it okay at all, though. Like, I don't, I don't condone what he, how his reaction was. But. And I just went to the bathroom and I passed out and um, he didn't come for me for a long time. But I remember, like, seeing this, like, ball of light again. Totally could be, like, a high thing. I don't know. And I, like, heard, like, a voice. I don't know if it was my mom's. It was a female. I think it might have been my mom's or somebody in my brain. I don't know. Who knows? And they were like, he, he's not going to get you out of this. He is not going to save you. No one is coming to save you. If you're going to get out of this, it's got to be you has to be you and I just like really took that to heart like oh my god my dad's not going to be the parent I need he's not going to save me I got to figure this out if I want to live and so uh he ended up finding me later and I didn't have to go to school and he he took me to like Olive Garden so random <laughs> like trying to talk to me <laughs> why are we at Olive Garden right now those unlimited breadsticks to open you up maybe I don't know yeah. say, carb load you. <laughs> he, was trying, he was trying to do something in his way I don't know and at this point I wasn't eating a lot either I was very skinny like the drugs didn't make me hungry and my depression didn't make me hungry yeah 
even that sorry ass ex I was with would try to like buy me like bags of candy to eat so I'd at least eat something. I guess he cared a little bit. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um and uh I just decided I was like, Dad, I need therapy. Oh, good for you to be able to know that you needed to specifically ask for help. Like that's and he, didn't, he didn't want me to because he said it would make I would talk bad about him and I said, Yeah, I will. But that's okay. That's okay. That's what to do. And he got he got really frustrated and was like, "Well, it has to be a Mormon one." And you know, I didn't have the money to pay for my own therapy, so I ended up getting you know I had like a a couple different therapists that were LDS. I would you know I won't say that moment with the light was my end to using, but it was a start. I would kind of dip back and forth. The LDS therapists for things like didn't know what to do with me. I would make points about. Yeah. I'd make points about things like the plan of salvation. I could see in their eyes that they were like, "Oh shit," you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you're like, you you've not thought about this. Like you're a child saying mm-hmm. these things, and these adults are like, "Uh oh." <laughs> yeah. Like they didn't know what to do with me. And one of them was so sweet, but she ended up getting like Parkinson's or something. And but that ended up being like an abandonment thing too, because I felt like I was opening up to someone and then they'd leave. Oh, yeah. Just adds to the trauma for sure. Yeah. And then I felt like I still wasn't sure if I could talk about what was happening to me with that ex and him like abusing me and raping me and stuff. Because even though I didn't really believe it, I I still felt shame. Like, oh, what did I do? Like, maybe it was like worth something. Maybe I said something. Maybe I let him think it was OK. Like, um, you know. And so I never opened up about that to them. And I kind of tried to pretend like that's not what was happening because, you know, I just, if I could just accept that was happening and that was just part of being in a relationship, then it wasn't right anymore, right? So, uh, anyway, after a couple counselors, he let me get a dog and he was my best buddy. He died, like, at the beginning of COVID. He lived a good while, which was nice. But he had a lot of health problems. Of course, I picked the one with health problems, right? Um, <laughs> my dad was like, are you sure you want this dog? And uh, we had a soul connection. But my ex started getting jealous of my dog. He would complain that I would talk nicer and more lovey to my dog than I would to him. If he came over, he would put my dog outside. Or just, like, push him off and not be nice to him. And I was worried, like, what if he hurt my dog? You, I just, oh, you were worried about your dog and not yourself, like. Oh, yeah, I would have rather been assaulted, like, a hundred times than, like, to think that he would have hurt my dog. (sighs) Honestly, because that dog was the only thing, like, helping me sleep anymore. Like, he slept with me every night, like. He gave me, like, purpose. He gave me, like, I was like, I took care of him. Took care of me. And then all of a sudden, like, he's a, he could be hurt, too. Um, Yeah, it just wasn't an option. So I just did what I could to kind of, like, mediate the situation, like, tiptoed a lot. And I would try not to be as um, affectionate. 
So my dog, when he was around, um, he would literally say stuff like, my dog's name was Riley. He's like, I hate Riley. I hate him and all this stuff. And it started trickling into other relationships, too. If I had any kind of friends, all of a sudden I'd, I'd have a hangout with, like, one of my best friends I still have today, and he would show up at her house. I didn't even invite him. Or he'd assume he's invited and, like, contact that friend or whatever, and then I'd just, he'd be there. I had to really, like, do a lot of, like, maneuvering to make sure that, like, he wasn't there if I, didn't like, really didn't want him to be there. Um, he tried to eat up all my time. Um, he was really smart, so he graduated early from high school, and he was, like, in college kind of commuting, and so he kind of do whatever he wanted. He was still kind of at his house. Oh, I forgot to mention that maybe the listeners will appreciate this. When I first started dating him and he brought me to his parents' house, his mom brought out this, like, uh, chastity chart and tried to, like, tell me, like, what I shouldn't do and how I shouldn't be. And um, <laughs> it's, like, laughable, really. <laughs> Because I'm like, your son's the one that's, like, a monster, but, you know. I look back, she had, like, a whole chart, like, a whole, I forget what it's called, but there's something very specific and Mormon about it, and it was, like, a printout. There was, like, diagrams. There was um, just all the things, like, I look at it now, and I wonder if she was doing that because of him, like, she knew how he was. Yeah, he had maybe. He had a girlfriend before me, and he was obviously rebelling and obviously, like, not doing what they wanted him to do. But it still felt aimed at me. But anyway, there was a lot of stuff like that where, like, if he did something, it was always my fault to his family and his mom. and um, Like, the whole thing where he, like, arranged that sleepover and his parents found out and my dad found out. Like, it was all my fault, of course. Of course, yeah. Of course Mm -hmm. it was. It's always, it's us wily women with our porn shoulders and our... Oh, yeah. And, um... I mean, there's just, I mean, I, there's just some, like, I know I've already kept y'all way too long, so I don't know how much to share, but, um, it was just bad, but, um, so I got, you know, getting Riley, the dog started helping, even though my ex was just horrible about it, um, if I went to any kind of activity with, like, my friend, like, a Mormon activity, and there was guys there, and I was friends with them, like, you'd get really mad. He even, like, would show up to seminary, early morning seminary, which was literally hell, when I was forced to go to that 6 o'clock, 5.50 seminary. Um, he would show up just so I wouldn't sit next to a guy that I was friends with that I met at, like, EFY or something. Oh, my God. It was, like, such a nice guy. He's still such a nice guy. Like, it meant no harm, you know? Yeah. But he, like, isolated me from friendships and... Um, especially if they were guys. Um, he just wanted to control every aspect of my life. And then the more I tried to become healthier, the worse he got. It's almost like he enjoyed the version of me that was helpless and, like, really sad and needed somebody or whatever he interpreted it. Um, well, yeah, because if you got healthy, then you wouldn't need him anymore. 
Yeah. And you would be able to stand up for yourself and be like, this is not happening. You can't use me like this. Yeah. 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 And honestly, I I don't care how sexually frustrated he was. It wasn't okay. Like, I don't give a shit. No, it absolutely was not. It was not your fault and it was not okay at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, and of course, you know, I, I kind of, there's some responsibility to the church because they, you know, they shame masturbation, they shame all these things. And like, he's in the super orthodox household where I'm sure he's been ashamed for a lot of those things his whole life, you know. Doesn't make it okay what he did, but I can see like where the problem started. Yeah, I think it, the church creates a lot of these um, really unhealthy situations that allow abusers to thrive mm-hmm. because they have to get very clever and they have to get very calculated about how they can carry out their abuse yeah and it, and it, i don't even know if he i don't know if he like welcome days like i'm gonna abuse this person but like that's what he did you know like, yeah whether subconscious he, or not like he wanted me in that way and he knew what to do to get that and um yeah it just got worse the like healthier i got when I got, I put myself through school. Like, my dad wasn't going to help me with school because he couldn't. Um, my grandmother told me that I was too weak to go to school and I should just, like, stay at home with my dad and help my dad. And, and I said no. <laughs> and um, went to, like, a school, like, maybe an hour away, close enough to, like, them see my dog, but far enough to be away. And a part of my brain was like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this will be, like, how I escape this problem. But it was hard because he performed so well in front of other people. Like, he got my dad to like him enough. He got friends to like him. You know, um, it felt, I felt very trapped. Because then I started to question myself, like, well, everyone likes him. He's, you know, like, no one's telling me they see anything wrong so because he would also do that too or if I started to address like how I was feeling about anything he would like gaslight me and be like no you're like like that's not like that's just your depression talking that's just this that's just that like you know it's just because you're traumatized that you feel that way about this thing and um yeah it just got worse so I I got therapy in college because it was, like, part of, like, what I was paying for, you know? So it's, like, because like, part of your fees, I was, like, oh, this could be good, like, a not-Mormon therapist. This would be interesting. Because I remember I was in a dorm, and I just remember the first, like, couple weeks, I just cried. I didn't know where it was coming from. It was almost like I had to, like, detox my whole body. <laughs> and I was away from him. I was away from my home at, like, And I, I'm sure people around me are like, what is wrong with her, you know? Um, but unfortunately, um, I ended up having to move back home for financial reasons after that first year. Um, and plus, I kind of felt pressured, too, by my ex because he didn't like that I was in a, a dorm. And, that, um, you know, my unfortunately, the roommate I had was like a kind of a bully at the time to me. I experienced a lot of bullies when I was growing up unfortunately like 
in middle school there was a girl who found out my mom killed herself and she made it a mission to like make me want to kill myself and like wrote me notes and all this crazy stuff but um anyway moved back home I was determined I was gonna work and go to school and keep myself as busy as possible so I like didn't have a lot of time for him and maybe I could save up money and study abroad or something and the abuse just the abuse got worse um like it became very obvious when like it became obvious like even I feel like for him it had to be obvious that he was like abusing me at some point because like well sometimes it, it was still happening with my clothes completely on like um he would like wait till my dad went to sleep and we'd be literally like in the living room outside my dad's room um still do like just just almost like it was a challenge for him at one point and he like got he got off on like him doing it to me in ways in scenarios that like, he shouldn't have been able to one time, my uh, one of my siblings like walked in, and I hope he, I was like maybe they'll save me tomorrow. But they just kept walking. Maybe they didn't know what to do. I don't know. Maybe they thought I was consenting to it, but I was not. Hey. Okay. I know. Therapist was like really helpful. She was like. She would listen to me and everything, but she never, she, like, kind of, um, where was I? Yeah, so he would, like, enjoy the situations where he, like, knew my dad was in the other room or, like, sibling in the other room. I would even try to, like, like, oh, well, maybe the sibling will be home and it won't happen to me. Or, like, I don't know. I was just, I would just hope it wouldn't happen. I mean, sadly, it would. It didn't matter. It happened at a car. It would happen anywhere. Uh, I started to like. He was already really weirdly obsessed with like modesty and like me not showing anything, having any chance of anyone lusting after me. He didn't even like when I wore makeup. He would demand on certain holidays and his birthday that I wouldn't wear makeup. It was like a rule. Um, and I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I can make myself not attractive, and then it won't happen anymore as much. I just, like, I started wearing baggy clothes, like, things that didn't show anything. Still, like, stylish, and you know, because, like, I liked clothes, but I was trying to purposely, like, hide any curves I could. I stopped grooming myself. I only ever shaved my legs if I was like wearing shorts, but even if I was, I'd try not to wear them around him. We're just super hot, so it's just hard not to sometimes. Um, it still happened though. Like, didn't matter. I could. This might be TMI, but, like, I could have had a bush and he wouldn't have cared. Still, it's going to happen to me. Yeah, it's a power thing, right? Like, they don't they don't care. It's all about control and power and taking 
your power away from you. So there was there would have been nothing that you could have done. He he wanted to take your power from you, and that's so wrong and should never have happened to you ever. Yeah, I don't care how horny you are, you know. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it just got bad. Just got really bad and like but my therapist would like kind of help me realize how bad it was getting without being like, you need to get out of this, you know? Cause I think part of her was probably scared for me too. Oh yeah. I'm, and I'm sure you, probably the sibling that saw probably was terrified, but didn't know, didn't have the tools to be like, this is you're being abused and this shouldn't be happening to you. Right. Yeah. What's kind of frustrating now is now that, the, you know, I know that, that particular sibling was like one day, oh, I never liked, I never liked him for, yeah. I didn't like, I wanted to like beat him up or whatever. And I'm like, well, why didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard as a kid because you don't, you don't have that, that higher no. brain capacity no, of like it, how to. Uh, we weren't things. taught how to like have relationships with each other. You know, we were always like kind of put against each other or like, or like, I don't know, just didn't know how to talk to each other because we went through this collective trauma, but, like, weren't allowed to talk about it or, like, experience it or feel it or, you know. And you were ripped apart from each other, and so that's going to cause some friction between and your... And that sibling was dealing with his their own stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was, a, it was a bad, bad situation that none of you should have ever found yourselves in and needed yeah. support and help through. Yeah, and it's, yeah. like... Sure, we, you know, we had a roof over our heads and, like, food and the basic needs, but emotionally, like, not at all. Like, like yeah. the extended family had no idea. I, don't, I still don't think they do, like, what was going on. Yeah. They just kind of assumed, like, things were okay because that's how my dad would, like, present or he would present it however he wanted them to know, you know, or tell them. Or, yeah. And honestly, in some ways, I don't know if my own dad really knew everything that was going on. And he, yeah, like, I mean, not to excuse anything that your dad did, but he probably had so much of his own shit going on. He was oh, yeah. not, he I did not work, have his eyes open. Work, like, five kids. like Yeah. Coming out of a out of prison and yeah. having to deal with that. Like, it was just, it was not, Marriage it was not a good fail. Um, yeah. His own mental health, his own physical health. Like, yeah, it was just, it's like a... It's not like black and white, you know, the church tries to make everything really black and white and like, you know, I, I just, I don't know. Not everybody's like all bad. Yeah, it's true. There's so many nuances and there's so many layers to everybody, how they exist in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's definitely like, I had a sibling who said it one time, it's like, yeah, Dad did his best, but was it enough? Was it what we needed? No. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> I know, it's, and it's hard because I think the way my dad conditioned a lot of us was to like kind of put him on a pedestal or like, oh, poor dad, oh, he's innocent, oh, he's this. Like, I still have siblings that are very defensive to my dad, even if they, even if my dad has hurt them. It's like,